here and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the Pack Heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, and welcome to episode 53, where today I have Mark Wandler, who is the co-founder and CEO of Sustainable, along for the chat. Sustainable is redefining what it means to have a sustainable business model within the food industry by specifically leveraging technology and partnerships to create an upcycled barley flour from what was previously considered waste in the beer industry. Founded in June 2018, Mark and co-founder Clinton Bishop currently operate out of East Vancouver and have partnered with many local craft breweries to create upcycled barley flour from brewer's spent grain. The upcycled barley flour is used to produce a variety of baking mixes and are available in select retailers in the Vancouver market. And if you head along to their online store, Mark has been generous enough to offer you all 20% off at the checkout when you make a purchase of any of their mixes. Mark and I spend close to an hour chatting on today's episode about the sustainable startup story, covering early market testing and validation, the unique process of collecting and working with spent barley grains, their current sales strategy, approach to scaling, and hunting for the right investors for their business. One last thing before we kick off into the show, just a gentle reminder that at Foodpack, we currently have 15% off our Supermac vacuum chamber machines. The deal does end on November 30, so the end of the month, and we have limited stock available in the warehouse. So feel free to get in touch to learn more or to schedule a test drive down in our showroom. Okay, that's enough from me. Let's get on with the episode. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Amy. Yeah, you're welcome, mate. It's 8.30 p.m. on a Wednesday evening. Uh, very rarely do I record. I usually am lucky enough to be able to record during business hours. So it's been a big day today, and here we are at 8.30 in the evening. So how was your day? Uh, my day was just really busy, along with every other day. I think it usually starts around 8 in the morning and sometimes can go till midnight. Yeah, don't doubt it for a second, mate. That's typical of an entrepreneur, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. So I always like to start the episode off just by going right back to the start. So where did you grow up? Where are you from? Uh, I was born and raised in Calgary, Alberta. Love it. I love Calgary, mate. I've spent a couple of summers out there working in my past. Yeah, I know. I, the one thing I'll say I miss about there is uh, I bought a home there and that's yeah. something that uh, it'll be a long time before I can probably potentially do that in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate, it is out of control here, isn't it? <laughs> it you know, truly is. Real estate's a beast. Oh, dude, it's so hard to get into this market. It's it's almost an insurmountable sort of task to sort of even put the deposit aside. So we actually, we live in a co-op, which is a really good thing for us. And, you know, it's a good family environment for my wife and kids and, and we love it here. But yeah, I mean, we would love to be homeowners one day, but it may not happen if we stick around in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. So when did you purchase in Calgary? Uh, it was my 30th birthday present to myself. Okay. So... That would have been six years ago. Yeah, got you. Yeah, all right. So the market was a little calmer back then? Uh, it wasn't too bad. I've always kind of been this person who goes bold. And so I bypassed the condo market and bought yep. a house. Right. Um, I was working for WestJet at the time and uh, wasn't home too often. So yep. I rented out all the other rooms and 
basically and people paying their mortgage. That's a perfect scenario, mate. Yeah, that's really smart and something that a lot of people do back home in Australia as well. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I've always been entrepreneurial even before starting the business. Cool, cool. And so was that your first opportunity to get into entrepreneurship to sort of get into the real estate market or you got in early and started other businesses in the past as well? Um, I guess that would be pretty much, I don't even know if I would have called that a business because yeah. it, it was my primary residence, yeah. but uh, it was my, and it was my first taste. My parents actually owned a wine and beer making business when i was growing up so okay cool cool and that was located in calgary as well yeah yeah they exited oil and gas pretty early they they didn't really kind of they burnt out and it wasn't the industry for them um and so yeah they the one thing about oil and gas is you make a lot of money in a short period of time and so they were able to pay their house off pretty quick and started that business and they ran it for i think it was 11 or 12 years so. Fantastic. So you did your BA in kinesiology and exercise science, and then later on down the track, you did your MBA at UBC. Uh, that is correct, except it was my BSc in kinesiology. Oh, right, it's a right, small right. track, Okay. Um, but the difference is BA, you're doing like a little bit more on the health sciences where we were doing like biomechanical right. stuff, um, exercise physiology, and we even worked alongside the exercise or the physiotherapist in a cadaver lab so it was a very oh, interesting experience yeah that would have been experience yeah cool cool so you got in amongst it and obviously yeah like got right down to the mechanics of how the body works oh yeah there's some interesting stories about that I don't uh, doubt it. being in a cadaver lab but <laughs> maybe for another day if we're talking about food <laughs> yeah yeah of course my dad was a funeral director for the longest time he's retired now but yeah obviously very familiar with uh, bodies like that um, but yeah, definitely it takes a, a special kind of character to, you know, withstand that day in and day out. And, and I can imagine you would have been confronted with some, you know, that to some degree as well. Yeah, it was an interesting uh, first day in the lab for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. So did you think that that was sort of going to be the direction that you'd be heading in that sort of that kinesiology world? Yeah. So when I went and did my kinesiology undergrad, it was actually to set myself up to go to med school. Right. Um, and I was also on the varsity soccer team. So, uh, my first two years was, I went out to Ontario and I'm no longer living at home and you're a 17 year old kid. Yep. So the grades in the first two years weren't quite so hot, but they improved quickly. Um, after that, the one thing, um, as I went through the program though, I discovered that I liked, I didn't, I wasn't in complete agreement with Western medicine. A lot of the people who I was talking to who were just starting out their practice um, were prescribing a lot of drugs. And that was like, and that's what patients wanted, right? Like they just, they'd come in, they'd want drugs and that was your day-to-day job. And I was like, I don't want that. So then I started talking to specialists, Mm. Um, but that's like 11 to 12 years more. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, I was months away from doing an exercise science uh, master's degree in mm-hmm. exercise nutrition and then I landed a job with Calgary Health Region that turned into Alberta Health Services and I just decided I'm like I can get paid very good wage or I can go and pay to do a master's yeah and I was like okay let's 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 get paid for a bit yeah yeah so you followed your nose and then you found yourself at WestJet yeah, so within a month of landing the Calgary Health Region role, I also, my friend was working at WestJet, and he's like, hey, you should come work here so we can just travel. Yep. And so I got a job there, 
customer service to start with to just travel. Um, but then they kind of saw more in me and gave me more and more supervisory type positions mm -hmm. and different and whatnot. And they tried to bring me up the corporate ladder there. And did that, was that attractive to you or did that scare the heck out of you? It started out like it was really fun. Um, yeah. The one thing that that did it is we did like a technical system changeover so that we could start partnering with other airlines. Yeah. And I think the number one thing is I just don't panic. Um, I don't know like where I got this from, but like I walked into the airport the first day of this switchover and the lineup was like outside the airport at yeah. the check-in counter. So I yeah. went in to clock in um, and I phoned down because I was like, I was just starting to be a relief supervisor. And I was like, hey, do you want me to maybe take on like a more senior role today? Because I see that there's some like issues going on. And he's like, yes, please. I need you to go gateside, which is like the behind security. And I was yeah. like, is it worse back there? He's like, yes. I was like, oh God. Um, and then, yeah, no, like even my bosses were coming to me for answers because I just pick things up really fast. Yeah. And so I found that a lot of fun, but the one thing after about nine months when things started quieting down, I just, health, it's always been about health for me, yeah. um, about the body and everything like that. And so I knew that the corporate ladder at WestJet wasn't quite for me. I was yeah. happy to be a relief supervisor and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, and learn new roles, but I really enjoy just working with people in the customer service aspect of it and it being kind of like the side job to my healthcare position. Got you, got you. So at what point did you find yourself moving out here to Vancouver? Um, yeah, so I was working at Alberta Health Services. I worked there for seven years. Um, I went into a chronic condition program. I was working, I'd worked out of university for seven years, probably 80 to 90 hour weeks between yeah. both jobs. Yeah. And finally, I decided at WestJet, like I hadn't been taking advantage of the travel potential enough. And yeah. I started talking to flight crew members and they were just like, oh yeah, like, if you can land part-time flight attendant, you will have four months off a year, pretty much. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's what I did. I, like, I turned 30. I became a flight attendant. I decided to travel. I took advantage. And I think I visited over 30 countries. Unreal. Um, I did twice like around the world. Yeah. Uh, only in the Northern Hemisphere, though. I got within, I think it was 30 miles of the equator but I never went south of it right for some reason yeah. which is funny um but yeah it really exposed me to a lot of different cultures it exposed me like I went and trekked Nepal went through um hung out in Hong Kong for a bit and I really did like I would spend three or four days in every city or country and basically I would evaluate okay is three or four days enough or is this like a really cool experience and I want to go back yeah you want to go and invest some more time there yeah yeah and while doing all this, my mother's the one who's just like, after about three years of me traveling, she's like, can you please do something more with your life? You're so smart. You're so this. And she's like, just do something. And it can be on the side, but like, and so I, I took a few business classes at UFC. Um, they were the ones, and it was, they were the ones who said, no, you need to be in the MBA program. Uh, it was my entrepreneurship professor. Yeah. And so I quickly looked at the UFC MBA program and was like, okay, all your cases are in oil and gas. So this is definitely not going to be for me. Yeah. Um, but I did like the idea of the MBA. And so I started looking at other programs. UBC was all about entrepreneurship, innovation, and sustainability. Yep. And so 
yeah, that was a program for me and I ended up out on the West Coast. That's awesome, mate. So there was like definitely a leaning towards entrepreneurship and innovation at UBC, you're saying? That's cool. I didn't realize that was the case. Yeah, so it's there's like, I think the plan was to come in to the UBC MBA, um, take the learnings, stay corporate for about five years and then start like a side hustle. Yeah. Um, but when I learned about the problem that we're addressing was sustainable yeah. and the fact that this market was just about to like really start to grow, mm -hmm. I couldn't turn away and basically went in full time right off the start. That's fantastic. So you knew that food waste was something that you wanted to address or at what point did you sort of realize that it was an issue that, you know, had the potential to be addressed through something like sustainable? Yeah. So the funny thing is, is food waste, while it's the first thing everybody else gravitated towards, for yep. me, it was actually what this can do for the population's health in yes. North America. Yeah. Um, the byproduct, basically we drink a ton of our calories. Yep. And so I'd never even thought of this until we looked at the byproduct. But it makes sense. The byproducts, all fiber, protein, and minerals, and all the sugars have been extracted to go into our beverages. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this is actually what we need more of in our diets. Um, the number one type of clients I had in the exercise uh, program, the chronic condition program that I was working at, was diabetes. Type 2 diabetes was mm -hmm. by far the most prevalent one who would come. And this just is like the perfect opportunity to try and curtail that and mm. reverse that trend. Mm -hmm. Baked goods that are more balanced, lower in sugar, higher in fiber, mm -hmm. and basically get our guts working better again. Because that's the thing, our, our guts are on overdrive. I yeah. find a lot of companies advertise about like the micronutrients in their products. Yeah. And we're so hung up right these days on micronutrients, but our macros are out of whack. And so yeah. like, we're not even absorbing some of those micronutrients. Yeah, our food yeah. system definitely needs an, an overhaul. And so that, yeah. that was clear from the beginning. And I just figured this was a great way to do it. Two huge problems. Yeah. One fairly simple solution, yes. um, easy for people to understand. And so yeah, we went to work. Fantastic. So the light bulb went off. So tell us a little bit about sort of the early days of some market research and some validation that you went out and got. Yeah. So the, the earliest market validation, I was lucky enough. This was a student project. There's yep. four months, seven of us working on it. Yeah. So there's a lot of help doing this. Um, the one thing I knew, I'm like, if you're going to try and make a food business out of something, you need to make sure it tastes good. Absolutely. Um, and I guess we could rewind a bit. The first month of the project was actually evaluating three different options of what we could do with the byproduct. So should, can we use it as a fuel source? Two people worked on that. Uh, two people worked on, can we use this as a byproduct to make certain materials? So we had two um, chemists on the team who were looking at using it with mycelium and yep. creating like coasters and stuff for the beer industry. Yeah. And then me and two others looked at it, at the food side of it. Um, and the highest value, the way we could get the most value out of it was as a food source. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of patent issues around the mycelium. Um, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. So uh, that's when we went to work on that. We started like interviewing bakers around town, doing all that. And one of the things we learned is they were all like keen on it a little bit, but when they, we got it in their hands, um, it was really tough to work with to start and they were so busy just constantly producing their day-to-day -day. yeah so I figured that and this was just kind of at the cusp of when we were about to wrap up the project I was like okay we're gonna have to like show people what you can make with this and do it from the start um and so Angela 
who was my landlord roommate um, and then became a co-founder in our early days. She's the one who started playing with it at home with me in the kitchen, baked recipes. Um, and yeah, cookies were just something that's like really familiar across mm. many cultures. And so that's where we started. We went to farmer's markets. We were going to just do it for the summer and then go back to the drawing board. And we literally got in the news like five times. We got picked up by a few different markets, couple cafes, and it just like, it started snowballing on its own and we figured we better keep at it. Yeah. Got some momentum. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just go back. So for everybody out there listening, I don't think we've actually covered it, but we're talking about um, barley from the beer industry or um, actually it's a waste byproduct of the beer industry and you're either purchasing it or you're actually processing it. Yeah. So uh, the term that the brewers use is spent grain. Spent grain. Um, Yeah. 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 And we like to call the product that we produce upcycled barley flour. So we're giving it that new, new life. Yes. Um, But yeah, no, there is no cost to this byproduct. The actual, it's a problem for breweries. They actually pay for uh, waste disposal and those fees just keep going up. Yeah. Um, So that's, that's, that was another interesting thing we learned going through it. Um, But the expensive part is processing it. So you have a material that's, incredibly wet you have a short time period and you do have to be able to dehydrate it as quickly as possible so in our early days again started with an oven lowest heat possible dehydrated had to keep like opening up the oven and shaking it so the edges wouldn't burn and you could get even even drying um and then i was like okay cool if we can make a product taste good the next step will be seeing if there's like stuff that we can do to do this at scale or do this a little bigger Dude. Um, and then, yeah, no, we con- we ended up finding somebody that contracted out the drying. Um, there's been so many problems along the way. Cannabis discovered the tech. They pay higher with higher rates. We like fight with them for time on the, the machine. Like it's just, and so that's why we're at the point where we're like, okay, there's a market. Um, COVID did two things. One, it like obliterated our food service market, which mm-hmm. was super disappointing. But within yep. two months everybody was starting to become aware of supply chain issues and looking more closely at the food industry. And then food waste numbers became like our awareness around it grew. Mm-hmm. And so we figured, okay, yeah, now's the time. We, we just got to keep working on it and baking at home's taking off. We figured, well, it won't be at the level always that it was during COVID. It'll probably be higher yeah. um, than it ever was. And so yeah, we decided baking mixes was the next evolution. Fantastic. So did you just start off with the one skew, just the cookie skew? Uh, when we went baking mixes, we started off with three. Three. Um, I've been finding in business, there's like powers and three. Even one of the like stores we said uh, we went to, they were just like, we want to wait for your banana bread to launch before we launch mm-hmm. uh, the three skews. So we, we did the barley flour itself, cookie mix and pancake and waffle. And then... Uh, November 12th is the banana bread launch. So on its way. Well, this is exciting. This is good timing for the podcast. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. New website, December 1st. There's a lot. There's a, well, there's almost always a lot on the go with us, but big things happening these days. Fantastic. So at what point did Clinton come on board as well? Cause he was a co-founder too, isn't he? Yeah, he was the co-founder. He was probably the first one from outside the group. He, I kind of forget how like the first conversation happened. Um, 
but he's just a friend back. He like worked at Alberta Health Services, also yep. had friends at WestJet. So we just yep. had like similar contacts. And uh, yeah, we touched base and I just told him what we were working on. And he comes from barley farming. So he wanted to be kind of kept in the loop a little bit. Yeah. And yeah, no, when I saw that this was going to be like really a thing, I looked, I reached out and said, hey, I'm like, you're skill set's pretty opposite to mine. Like you are the polar opposite. And uh, yeah, convinced him, somehow managed to convince him to come out. He's from a small Alberta town. So like he finds Vancouver incredibly busy. Um, (laughs) He's never been to Bangkok or any big city like that. Hong Kong, has he? (laughs) He has not. No, I don't think he's left North America yet. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So yeah. And this was his first time leaving like Alberta. Yeah. So he the, the furthest he'd been from home was Calgary. Okay. For in terms of living, which was two hours away from their farm. Yeah. But yeah, but, no, he's got like he's he's all about health safety, he knows all the rules around that, which is super important. Yeah. Dealing with the fact that we're dealing with food waste. Yeah. Or what's considered food waste. And there mm-hmm. is we do anytime we file paperwork or anything like that, the word when you say the food waste and health safety officers are like, okay, hold up. We need to come like inspect everything and yep. check it all out. Yeah. Yep. So he, he's been a beast in tackling all that stuff. Um, policy, regulations. Uh, he's helped navigate COVID and he's created policies for like our health safety plan. I feel like half of Vancouver has it and used it as a model. That really? He created. Yeah. So, it's a template. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's great. That's awesome. So in the early days, it sounds like there wasn't any shortage of the raw ingredients, right? And then, uh, but to actually get some process, what was the MOQ with the, uh, with the process to actually get the ingredient into your hands that was usable? Um, so we partnered with breweries. We had five in total. Um, and the reason we had five was honestly is because we weren't able to take the whole amount. So right. we couldn't like replace and get paid to take it or anything like that. Yeah. But they were more than willing to give it to us. Like they're like, this is a cool project. Yeah, like take what you need. We just needed to know their brewing schedule. Mm-hmm. So we'd reach out day of when we had a slot for drying mm-hmm. um, because that was the main bottleneck yeah. is getting time on the drying machine. So as soon as we knew we had a date, we would message them. Um, but we were an afterthought to the breweries. Yeah. So on the day of, we'd message them, be like, okay, what time are we swinging by? And sometimes we'd be like, oh yeah, we decided not to brew today. Or, oh yeah, we did And so like, thank God at the time we had Ange on our team because she worked in restaurants and knew probably like every brewer in town. Yeah. And so she would just quickly go on and be like, message 10 people be like, are you brewing today? What, what type of beer are you brewing? Cause we wanted to, we keep with the lighter beers, uh, lighter beers. Um, and so, yeah, then, then we built a relationship. So faculty was our first, um, monkey nine bailed us out. Uh, we wanted to do, uh, a drying session with dogwood just because they're organic, um, and stuff like that and start yep. building that relationship. Um, we did one with R&B and then we landed with Parkside and they had a really regular brewing schedule, mm-hmm. which helped us out. So they became our most popular. Uh, That's awesome. That yeah. My question was around consistency in the product as well, because I can imagine with all different grains and different beer, you know, making processes, there could potentially be some flavor sort of differentiation that you'd find. Yeah. So we, but sometimes I think some of the breweries do wheat beers and stuff like that. So we yeah. asked for like just standard barley 
Um, I think it's like the 15% dark and molten rate, but you'd have to ask a little bit more of Clinton. I'm starting yeah. to step on and in, step into his territory and I don't, I don't dive too deep into that. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was pretty consistent. Um, a few things that we had to deal with was like, we had a mill, the mill broke down and then we had got a new mill. Um, and it, it's, it's, yeah, so much learning every time you bring in and you try a different model of something. Yeah. It tweaks, it tweaks the consistency and we're yeah. talking about a base ingredient like flour. And so, yeah, yeah I know it's a lot of learning. Thank God. Thank goodness. Cookies are forgiving and yeah. we figured it out with baked goods before we moved into packaged goods. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So the grains that you're actually getting, they're dehydrated and then you're milling them and turning them into flour. Is that correct? Yep. Oh, cool. Cool. And then are you doing all of the blending on site yourself? Cause you're working out of a commissary kitchen. I understand, aren't you? Yeah, we're working at a commissary kitchen. We yep. do right now we do the mixes. We still do some baked goods and stuff for cafes and yep. events. Um, the goal for the next stage is to get our own upcycling facility and then yep. we might like completely reverse it. So we'll be producing the flowers and stuff. Yeah. And we'll be at a big enough scale that then we can potentially tap into a co-packer um, and get them to, to do the mixes. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. That's awesome. And that'll free up a lot of your time as well, I'd imagine. Yes. And a lot more of Clinton's time and our baker can go back to doing like recipe creation as opposed to just like packing mixes. Yeah. Um, well, this is what you do in entrepreneurship, right? Until yeah. you can reach the, reach that point you, you do it by hand. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've got a, a really common story. I've got, I've interviewed um, Sarah from Chiwi's Kiwi Chips uh, on episode nine. And I also interviewed Isabel from Remix Snacks back on episode 39. And both of them are using imperfect fruits. Um, you know, that would otherwise get, you know, tossed out and into the general waste stream and they're utilizing those fruits and you're sort of doing a very similar thing in that you're, you know, finding a use for something that would other bags get um, thrown into the waste stream. And that's really cool. Um, when I was at university, um, I did my master's in entrepreneurship and innovation back home in Australia as well. I had a business idea because I'd come from the coffee industry and, uh, you know, just like the, the beer brewing process, there's a lot of coffee grounds that get thrown into the regular waste stream. And they're really high in nutrients. Um, and I went and had a look at papers that people had, you know, written. And I was also looking at, you know, opportunities to do something with that too. And uh, one of them was as an exfoliant ingredient. I thought it could be really cool because there's a huge issue with microplastics and microbeads. And the other one was mm -hmm. also um, the potential to use it as a um, as an engineered fuel, just like you were looking into as well. So um, I was lucky enough. I was managing a cafe at a roastery at the time, and I was had access to mountains of coffee grinds and uh, so I was collecting it and drying it and doing everything that you did but I uh, I hired a um, a restaurant um, like warming oven and I would sift the coffee grinds and I'd put them into racks and I'd dry them out and then once they were dry I would take it home and uh, turn it into a coffee scrub like for exfoliating your body and I ended up finding a contract manufacturer who um, produced an actual um, cosmetic um, coffee scrub for me and they would fill the tubes. I'd take receipt of the tubes and then I would sell the coffee scrub. So very, very similar thing to what you're doing, which is really cool just to see that, you know, there are parallels in other worlds, you know, once the cosmetic industry, you know, utilizing something from a waste stream and, uh, and you're obviously utilizing it in a, uh, a food product, which is awesome to hear. Yeah, no, I think it's, that's amazing and super creative. And I think that's what we need more of. We just need to make yeah. sure that we're utilizing our resources properly yeah. and value them as much as we value money. Like it's, it's a shame that it's like, if it doesn't pay the dollar 
feel we're okay to just like waste a ton of things. It's crazy, isn't um, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and, we just and, have to add more value to that. Yeah, so like typically, what would the brewers be doing with this product? Are they taking it to composting facilities or is it just going getting thrown into the regular waste stream? Um, so uh, we find that the rural breweries, and this is the thing, like big breweries used to be a little bit more rurally located. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the byproduct goes to farm animals, um, can get used pretty quickly, and yeah. that's totally fine. But now in the last like 20 years, you've seen the rise of craft breweries, which are more urban in urban settings. Yeah. Uh, big cities like Vancouver, um, there's a few breweries that have great relationship with farmers and somehow they've managed to negotiate and the farmers will come into the city and pick it up. Yeah. Um, some might get composted and I think, well, and it may get composted, but I think 90% of breweries to 100% are saying that it goes to farm animals yeah but i've literally been to some of those breweries have interviewed them i'm not going to throw any under the bus of course yeah interviewed them walked out the door and then seen a waste management truck picking up the spent grain and i'm like that waste management truck is not a farmer yeah 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 (laughs) so they're lying to their customers and eventually it'll bite them but yeah yeah Yeah. and it's like if we're talking about transporting this byproduct back out to the farms you're transporting 70 to 80 percent water yeah 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 so that's also like water's heavy and yeah. why yeah. so even if we're talking about composting it if you can have these dehydration facilities kind of close to yeah. anywhere that's producing this wet byproduct yeah even if it's going to be a comp like even if we can't use it all it can yeah. be used for something else and returning nutrients back into the fields yeah great idea so you guys got some momentum tell us a little bit about the early days of actually getting out there and selling the product whether it was to you know a b2b sale or your b2c sales um yeah so we went b to c first mm-hmm. uh, online no no we were definitely in person farmers markets was well actually my mba colleagues were the first pilot group yeah. um i did a couple of catering events and whatnot for the school uh some of my mba profs as well and then we went to farmers markets i think that's good because you also like you're getting feedback from people who don't know you so it's complete strangers mm-hmm. they're not they're totally willing to tell you kind of what they think for the yeah. most part yeah um and we picked we tried to keep it like consistent so we i think we picked five or six farmers markets in different locations throughout mm-hmm. the city try and hit different demographics uh and then we quickly learned so like squamish for example ended up being a very good market because it was half tourist traffic half local so we constantly get in front of new people and get in front of the regulars. Right. Um, so you can evaluate a little bit like your rebuy rate and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, we, we knew that as the season was winding down, we'd have to take that momentum and kind of started approaching cafes near mm-hmm. the end of the season. Uh, a lot of stuff happens kind of organically and accidentally on purpose. Uh, we had one student who was working with us who went to the, like, she's a climber and climbing gym and she just gave a cookie to one of her fellow climbers they're talking about it in front of the staff member staff member asked questions she's like oh would you like want to carry the product and they're like you could do a sampling i don't know if we're going to carry it and we did one sampling there and just about everybody went to the staff and was like please carry this product please carry this product and they're just like okay cool um so this was three no five weeks before COVID hit 
this gym, we had still not hit what their maximum threshold was. So every week they were doubling their order week over week. Yeah. I think the last week we were there, they sold 140 cookies before um, Wednesday even hit and they were getting Friday delivery. So they were going to try more again. That's madness. Um, So it was pretty cool because it's like, yeah, no, Jim, you don't usually think, but they love the fact that they're getting we did it package free there was no packaging at all um and they were just yeah tongs here's a cookie and they would grab it right after their climb that's great yeah get the energy back in their bodies expansion so you're obviously in the process of scaling in the business right now and i've noticed that you've been really active on linkedin with sort of the pitching events that you've been going to and raising funds I'd love to hear sort of your take on getting out there and raising funds because it's something you've obviously seen some success in. So, you know, can you tell all of the listeners out there about your approach to fundraising? Sure. Um, So we started bootstrapping, um, raised a little bit of friends and family money. uh, And that's what got us started. We, I'll also share that we were two weeks away from closing close to a quarter million dollars when COVID hit. Wow. Um, didn't take the money we which is good because one of the investors said good because i wouldn't have given it to you anyway wow <laughs> once co- once covid hit yeah because our like our our market had completely like disappeared blown up yeah. right like yeah. food services shut down basically yeah yeah um and so then we had to take like me, me and clinton and, and angela angela was like i have my kid now and he's at home and i've ch- teach from home and do all this stuff. She's like, I don't think I can run a business anymore. Yeah. Um, so she formally quit and we were looking at each other and seeing, okay, let's, let's just sit and see what happens over the next month mm-hmm. uh, with, with what's happening with COVID. And then that's when we kind of saw the rise at, at home baking and we're like, okay, do we have the energy? What type of funds can we close? Uh, we, we were just old enough as a business to qualify for SIBA. So we're like, okay, um, consumer packaged goods. We're basically, we were, this is like, you're doing it on more emotion than, than what you should be doing. Like looking at finances, we should have just rolled it up, but we're just like, no, like this is, this is too big. This needs to happen. Even if we're just pushing this forward, um, I was all in at that point and I had managed to convince Clinton as well. So we went back to work. We were supremely bootstrapping it over the year. We were managing our personal funds very closely. Uh, again, a couple of friends and family are just like, all right, yeah, no, like you guys are doing some really cool stuff. Um, we want to, we want to support you. And so, yeah, no, we, we went all in earth day. 2021 is when we launched the mixes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that you have to get right to get into um, consumer packaged goods. Like food services is fairly easy to get into. Yeah. Consumer packaged goods is completely different because you're yeah. basically signing up to sell through somebody else, mm-hmm. no matter what. And they have to, you have to be able to communicate your story through somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we had to learn online marketing. We had to learn how to create a, like a better website, a website that's gonna sell. We had to learn new partnerships. Um, we're completely different market, completely different companies you're going to be collaborating with. And then we launch on earth day 
we shortly after rush a Kickstarter, we were planning to do it for the fall and the marketing agency is like, no, no, let's do it. Like, let's do it before summer hits. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is crazy, but we could probably use the funds. Um, and I talked to the one thing that was awesome is I talked, talked to Mitchell Scott from Very Good Butchers. Um, and he advised me to, because we were looking at front funder as well, which is equity crowdfunding. And he's like, you know what, do a regular crowdfunding first, take the learnings, and then you can decide if you want to do equity crowdfunding. So that was yeah. one amazing tip of advice that anybody out there who's going to look at equity crowdfunding, definitely do a regular crowdfunding first. Um, and yeah, so that went really well. We didn't predict that retailers would launch seeing the Kickstarter. So that distracted us from selling on the Kickstarter. Uh, so it's because we wanted to make sure we fulfill for retailers. Um, and yeah, and then we realized quickly that baking doesn't happen during the summer. So we were going to have to like, again, just bootstrap it. We predicted we'd have sales during the summer and there weren't many sales to be had. So we went back to the drawing board. Um, how do we like get new traction? And so that's when we did our we got a lucky enough Van City. We built some amazing relationships in the city, and Van City is really behind that circular economy. Yeah, and we landed a five thousand dollar community grant. We decided to use that full fledged marketing initiative in September. Sweepstakes, gifting the grant right back to the community and product and prizes. Yeah, um, and that just aligned with baking season. So we did that. We did the Halloween initiative where we gifted out two hundred cookie mixes to families throughout the Lower Mainland. Um, and just keep pushing it to uh, retailers. And then at the same time, we have, so so the one thing is like, yeah, you've seen me active on LinkedIn. Because yeah, that's what you have to be. You yeah. have to be loud everywhere and you have to appear bigger than you are. Um, and so that's, we've done that very well. We've gotten accelerators reaching out to us from across the US as well as in Alberta. Um, and yeah, no, we're just looking for the right investors. Um, mm. One or two right leads. We have a ton of investors interested, but they're more like your follow-on investors. And yeah. so we need to find one or two that can help us build the facility and take us to the next level. What is it exactly you're looking for? Are you looking for a partnership or are you looking for somebody to just offer advice or? Um, so there's a key, key, a few key pieces. So yeah. to make to take this next step, one, we're going to have to, bring in somebody from with consumer packaged goods, like yeah. se senior experience. Yeah. Um, Cause like we've learned in the first three years in business that there's going to be a ton of things that pop up that are unpredictable. Mm. I have a very good understanding of the circular economy, that space, but consumer packaged goods and retail space, there's still a lot going on. There's a lot going on behind the scenes in retail that mm -hmm. we don't know. Um, that even a professional who's might be like five years retired won't know because this is like a new beast what's happening since the pandemic like they're dealing with labor shortages you have supervisors who are working the floor again yeah um so it's like how do you get a hold of them and does somebody who already has this have this relationship so if we can find somebody like that that's mm -hmm. a huge a huge benefit um another one is anybody with real estate experience so one of the things we're looking at doing differently than most um, most companies who go in consumer packaged goods is they start with a small facility and then they they bigger and bigger facilities. Mm -hmm. 
we know our byproduct and byproducts are available in urban sites across North America. So we want to do micro a micro facility model everywhere, use waste product within the community and feed the community with it. Mm. Um, so it's a different model, but we're going to need real estate space and somebody with like good real estate knowledge across the board. Mm. So one of those partners is kind of another, another box that we'd like to tick. Um, and then the third big thing is anybody with e-commerce experience who's used to growing an e-com business because now you do need omni-channel you need to be focused on retail as well as your online presence engaging with your customers and stuff like that so those three um we don't need to take them all on this raise mm -hmm. but we'd like to take a couple of them yeah it's good to be specific like you know you've really drilled it down you know exactly what you're looking for you never know who's going to be listening to this show so good luck and i really hope that you find the i hope that you find the financing and i hope that you find the team that you're looking to build Thank you. We're very hopeful as well. Cause I, I've talked to an advisor before that it's like, sometimes I'm like, I feel like I'm pointing if we were like a vehicle, we're pointing our vehicle off a pier. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And you got to be building a bridge as, as you're, driving as you're going, <laughs> yeah. as you're driving on the pier. And I'm like, yeah, that's what this feels like. He's like, yep, you're doing the right thing. Keep that's going. Awesome. <laughs> Mate, tell us a little bit about your brand and the development of the brand. Did you know the how the the aesthetic and the feel and what it is exactly that you were searching for in the early days or did it sort of evolve naturally as well um so the name there's like there's a constant battle between i think five or six people saying they came up with the name i love the people's <laughs> stories that everybody has yeah um but the name was like the name's awesome and we get a lot of great feedback on the name um so that one like was a sticking point from the start. And I can honestly, like you see a lot of brands change their name. Mm. I, I think ours is there to stay for the light, lifetime. Um, when it comes to like the logo and stuff, there's a few things we wanted. So we wanted to like respect the grains and have a little bit of grain in it. We wanted to um, have a circular logo to represent the circular economy. Uh, but other than that, I'm pretty much somebody who doesn't, I, I just like having a high level vision and letting the people who are joining the team really take hold and yep. evolve it. Yeah. Um, Cause that lets them take ownership of it too. So we have a few core values, uh, a few things like that. And yeah, no, I'm notorious for throwing out high level ideas and letting other people chew on them, make them their, take them, make them their own and just yep. coming back when they need to like get over the next hurdle. Yeah. Um, and that's what I say. I'm good at just getting people over the next hurdle and then they can keep going and building it out. And when they hit another roadblock, again, just come back, have a quick hash out and we'll get you to the next point. That's awesome. How big is the team that you've got at the moment? Oh, we got to as big as nine. We're now down to three again, right. 3.2. We have somebody who works um, a few hours here and there that helps out. Yeah. Is that just due to seasonality of the business? No, that's due to COVID and shortage, shortage of funds heading into our funding round. <laughs> yeah, yeah, understood. Yeah, yeah, it would be tough. Um, you know, growing a business, I'm sure, you know, goes through many evolutions and you're probably just, you know, in the mix and feeling it all right now. But, you know, leadership and, you know, the qualities that you've um, 
that you sound like are inherently built within you. You know, you were talking to us a little bit earlier about, you know, the early days at WestJet. It sounds like they're a core part of who you are and, you know, whether you're leading the team or whether it's a big team or a small team, you've still got those leadership qualities there. And, you know, what is your approach to leadership? Um, so the biggest thing is empowerment yeah. for me when it comes to leadership. That's one I learned at WestJet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I think... Uh, our generation like isn't as exposed to um, and we don't understand it fully. And so it really almost needs to be trained back into people. Like there's a lot of student, we do a lot of student projects and they, they basically like, can you give me the answer? Hmm. And I'm like, no, like, what do you think? Um, Cause I'm like, I will give you an answer. I always have an opinion, but I'd like to hear yours first. Cause I don't want you to formulate your opinion based on off yours. of mine. Yeah. Yeah. Like I want you to formulate some things. And so I did this in, when I was supervising at WestJet, um, they let you have a little bit of leeway um, around certain things. Like you could mm-hmm. waive fees for people mm-hmm. and it became a huge part of the brand, but it's, yeah. Some people would be like, Oh, do I have permission to waive fees? And it's like, you don't have to ask me for permission. Um, and they're like, what? And it's like, yeah, no, like, like, this is your call. Think of, is it worth giving this? You are an owner as well. And so that's kind of what I like. I like to do the same thing. Like, this is, this is your problem to own. If it does become too big, I am more than happy to help, but I will push back to say, I think you're capable of handling this problem. Mm. Um, and I think that's what makes good leaders because, that's your, that's your succession plan. Your succession plan is your people. Mm-hmm. And if you're not around to make the decision, you want to know that they're able to make the decision. I think too many people find their strength in being like, I'm the person that needs to be relied on, as opposed to, um, I, I just like to start things and create and be the spark to, to create change and then let that take place and make sure that we're, we're guiding it within certain parameters. So those are like, that's our values, right? Like mm-hmm. we're focused on health. So we don't want to do anything that's going to, that's going to be a detriment to health of people or the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Collaboration is another big one. So we want to make sure that we're always easy to work with. Um, and then I, th- I think the number one thing value for us that stood out over the last little bit is accountability and fun. So we, we try and the last little bit has been grueling. Um, but I still have, try and have fun through everything I do. Like it's almost nine thirty at night, and I'm here and I'm having fun chatting with you. I learned learning about your coffee business and whatnot, <laughs> which I find fun. I love meeting new people and learning new things. So. Yeah, that's exactly why I've got the podcast. I love getting out there and having a chat as well, and dissecting people's businesses with them, and hearing the passion in people's voice. It's absolutely it's infectious. You know, like you can't help but walk away from a conversation like this. Um, you know, with a little bit more fire in your belly to get out there and, and work harder on your own personal stuff as well. It's really cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, before, when you were talking about your approach to leadership, um, yeah, it sounded like parenting to me, like, you know, like a really good parent empowers their kids. They don't always give them the answers. They set them up to succeed and they give them the tools and whatever they need to sort of get out there and have a go. Is that, and you talked about your mum before, like she, she knew that you had potential in you, you know, when you were working at WestJet and you were traveling and she's like, get out there and do something like, even if it's on the side, 
talk to me about your mum. It sounds like she's a really interesting character and it sounds like she's really shaped the person that you are today. Would that be true? Uh, yes, my mom has done. Both my parents have shaped yeah. it. Um, yeah. Both my parents were, uh, went to the military. So uh, both my parents came from like, I, my experience growing up was a middle to low income family. Right. Um, their experience growing up was like a low income family. So they grew up through like the depression. They have stories about, and that's probably why some of my experience around waste is like, there was no waste around my house. Yeah when we were kids, like there was leftover day for food. Um, and like most people who would come over to my house and have leftover day, they're like, this is amazing. And I would be like, "Ugh, this is terrible. Cause like my mom made amazing fresh food. And I was like, "Ugh, this is the leftover day. Um, but yeah, my mom was an amazing cook. She's an amazing supporter of sustainable. She, she lives back in Calgary and, um, Clinton has to go back to the farm. She knows that. And she's like, can he bring out like five more kilos of flour? Like she's one of our best customers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and is constantly like getting it out in front of people because she just thinks it's amazing. And it's kind of funny because she just shared a post on LinkedIn the other day. Um, and it was basically about like waste and how she's like, she's so sad about how the world's gotten because yeah. she was reflecting on her time and her time with like her parents and grandparents. And she's like, we had nothing and we used everything and mm -hmm. it's like where have we gotten as a society and mm -hmm. so it like again it helps me remember my why um and a big part of that and that's one thing that over the last year that's been hard is that they're in Alberta and I haven't gotten to see them as much and mm -hmm. uh family is huge to me so I hear you, mate I hear you. we're lucky to have FaceTime though aren't we if my mom knew how to use FaceTime, well, <laughs> <laughs> we've taught her, we've taught her. It was, it was, a, it was grueling the first few, few times. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, mate. Obviously, my mom and dad are back in Australia. They're listening right now. So shout out to mom and dad and, and thanks for all of the support that the parents give because, you know, we can't do it alone, can we? We always need that support network. And, and even though our parents are far away from us, we know that they've got, you know, they're, we're in their thoughts all of the time and, and I definitely feel it. And I'm sure that you do too. Totally. Yeah, no. And I'm, I can almost guarantee my mom will listen to this whole episode as well. Um, <laughs> and I also have to give a shout out to my sister and her kids. They were recently, it was fun because I was back in September for a brief day and they've wanted to be involved in like sustainable stuff forever. Yeah. They love it. They eat it all the time. Grandma's baking, obviously. Yeah. Um, and they got to take part in the Halloween video that we recently shot and the initiative. So they had their first like acting gig um, and they loved it and they did such a good job. So that's yeah, great. That fun. I didn't see the video. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. It's, it's on our Instagram. It was the October 31st post. It's pretty, pretty obvious. It stands out. That's awesome. I'll put a link in the show notes for everybody out there that's listening as well. Mate, we are fast approaching the hour, but I've got a couple more questions for you. What's the next period of time look like at Suscrandable? Where, where are you heading? What's the next sort of 12 months to 18 months look like? Yeah, so we're at a definite inflection point. We've, uh, we're close to like 200,000 in, in sales, which is like more than market validation, in my opinion. Uh, we're starting to get more and more inquiries into like wholesale, wholesaling the flower, which we can't do at our current volume and our current uh, production capacity. And so launching this facility 
um, is the next step. The biggest thing is, are we going to be able to do that in Vancouver? Are we going to be able to find the support um, and be able to make it work with the basically real estate in this city? Yeah. So me and Clinton have kind of give us, given the timeline to have at least kind of 80% of the funds locked down by April. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can't get it, we're like, honestly, Calgary's been trying to scoop us back over the mountains and get us to do it there. They're they're really diversifying lately away from oil and gas. Like mm-hmm. they've been they've been defending oil and gas for quite a while, but the pandemic and the the drop in oil prices over the last 10 years and how long how much it's hurt their economy. Um, they've had some big investments in like solar and wind projects recently, just south of the city. And so, yeah, their economy is completely transforming. NACO, I think, setting up their Western shop there, um, which is an angel, huge angel group. Right. Um, they're starting up Platform Calgary, which is a huge startup ecosystem they're planning to start. That's cool. And so if we can't make it work by, let's say, April, June, then there may be, um, that may mean we move back, which I think would make Al- Clinton's parents happy because um, they want him home. But yeah. I, uh, I definitely do love the West Coast. It's beautiful here, isn't it? There's pros and cons for sure. It is. Yeah, I would love to make it work here. Um, I think the market's really made for it here. Yeah. And it's the biggest hurdle is the real estate um, and us being able to raise the funds and make it work here. I've got all of the faith that you guys are going to get there. You're definitely heading in the right direction. And I really love following you on LinkedIn. And um, if anybody wanted to learn a little bit more about Sustainable or get some product into their hands, what's the best way? Yeah, so right now, the best way is on Sustainable.ca. We're launching a bunch of initiatives. I'm super excited. December 1st, uh, we landed a grant. We finally got professionals to build out our website. Clinton had done an amazing job. Um, but yeah, no, there's, there's only so much we can do. And he's done an amazing job, like building the website off the side of his desk. So it's nice to have had people other than ourselves driving this process. Um, we're really excited. We get to see uh, a mock-up of it in five days. Well, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's our first look at it. And then we're going to make the tweaks necessary to be able to launch December 1st. Um, but yeah, no, subscribe.ca. We're also available on Spud and through some retailers. But in the new year, we plan to hit a lot more retailers. Um, but yeah, no, right now it's holiday gifting and we've partnered with a few holiday gift basket companies. That's awesome, mate. Well, good luck. And um, thank you very much. Oh, there's a, uh, a promo code. Did you want to let everybody know what the promo code as well is? Yeah, if you want to go to scramble.ca and enter the promo code PACKHEAVY20, on checkout, you will receive 20% off, but only until December 6th. Um, and I will say these baking mixes make for the best gifts at Christmas time. Uh, it's good, like little stress relief baking, bring people together, uh, but they'll also be blown away by the story. So if you have that secret Santa or you have uh, stocking stuffers to grab, I definitely highly recommend it. Awesome. Well, look, thank you very much for your time, Mark. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to following you over the next 12 to 18 months to see your reality come into fruition. Awesome. Thanks. It was my pleasure. This was a really fun conversation. Thanks. Great attention to you too, Hayden. You too. Take care, mate. Bye. You too. Bye. 
Thanks again for taking the time to tune in to today's episode. Before we do leave, though, I'd just like to thank our show sponsor, Food Pack. And I would also love to hear from you. So please feel free to shoot me an email at hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Hayden Thompson, and that's T-H-O-M-S-O-N. And last of all, you could also find me on Instagram. Thanks again, and see you next week.